You're on the one, 91 FM. This is Monday Drive. It is bang on 4 o'clock, and I am your host, Lawrence. In today's episode, we're going to get straight into it, and um, we're going to be talking about the an- the new animal testing facility here on campus. And any walk around the university, any, anywhere in the world, and it is impossible not to notice a wide range of posters and images trying to cajole, pe- cajole people to engage in certain political activities or to come along to information meetings related to current hot-button political issues. The University of Otago is no different. And for those students who are regular listeners to this show or follow the Otago Daily Times, they will know that one of the most passionate, some would say emotional, debates surrounds the proposed building of an updated animal testing facility here at Otago. At a proposed cost of $50 million and with the perception of little public input into its approval, the new animal testing facility has become a flashpoint for, for those on both sides of this issue. Uh, while the words animal testing can invoke horrific images in some people, these emotive images obscure a much more varied and complex issue, one that sees a diversity of viewpoints on both those who support the animal testing and those who stand firmly opposed. As with so many scientific and technological advances in the last half of the previous century and into the first quarter of this one, the issues surrounding animal testing have gone from moving at a glacial pace to moving exceedingly rapidly. This rapid pace makes it more difficult for the casually informed listeners to differentiate between fact and fiction. Hopefully today we can shed some light on this issue, and I am joined in studio today with three guests. We have, and actually I'll just let you guys introduce yourselves, I think that'll be easier. Okay, kia ora, I'm Richard Blakey, um, I'm the Deputy Vice-Chancellor of Research and Enterprise at the University of Otago. Marcelo Rodriguez-Ferrer at the Faculty of Law. And I'm Dave Grattan, I'm a Professor in the Anatomy Department. All right, excellent, thank you guys for coming in. And we're going to start with uh, you, Richard, I'd like to know... Um, I guess maybe explain the process of how this animal testing facility came to be and maybe answer any of these criticisms around the uh, transparency that people say, or lack of transparency. Yeah, people. yeah Kira Lawrence. And um, look, in terms of planning of uh, capital infrastructure projects within the university, this has fallen within the same process we use that um, in this case we identified a need to update and upgrade our facilities to um, to, to meet the needs for 21st century uh, research and teaching at the university. And then um, through that, we will go internally through processes that identify the need, develop concepts, test out different options for that. And it's only once we've gone through those internal processes and our council has approved a new capital project that we are, in any of our works, whether we're building a new science lab or uh, putting some uh, redevelopments to one of our residential colleges that we'll be able to go and be public about what we want to do and this is what we followed in this case. In fact uh, we even released a bit more information that we, than we usually would. We wouldn't usually put a, uh, an estimate for the capital value of the project against one of these projects when we release it. It can um, uh, interfere with the tendering process that will need to be followed through but we thought it was important as soon as we could which is once we got the council approval to release information that we were planning to build a new research support facility that would be where we housed most of our animal facilities. All right, great. And um, I guess animal testing is it's a very loaded term. Like I said earlier, it conjures up these kind of horrible images. You know, people think, I always think of, there was something I used to see about chimpanzees being shot to space or the lipstick testing on some rabbits where it takes all their fur off and whatnot. Um, but it does kind of exist on a spectrum. There's low impact testing, which is you know testing that can um, benefit the animal, and there's other high impact, of course, which causes the death of the animal. So, which kind of testing will be going on at the facility here? Yeah, well, uh, Lawrence, and you use the word testing. In fact, um, 
our code of ethical conduct for the use of animals uh, has two permitted activities, that's research and teaching. The Animal Welfare Act enables product testing, things like cosmetic testing, although that will be phased out in the next iteration of the Animal Welfare Act. In fact, at the University of Otago, we don't undertake uh, product testing, cosmetic testing on animal, using animals. So it is, it is research and teaching, and, and it will cover the spectrum of, of the kinds of activities you talked about, from low impact to high impact. Uh, there's work in the field as well. If we're doing work on conservation and we want to be going out and studying animals and manipulating them through in a, in a, in a, in a field research, we also need ethical approval for that. But it, it's a very wide spectrum. The animal uh, facilities and our research support facility will be for uh, laboratory-based uh, research and teaching purposes. And again, as, as we go through this conversation, Dave and others may be able to highlight some of the kinds of things and some of the kind of benefits that come from that research and teaching. Mm. Maybe I'll ask you, Dave, what are some of the benefits you're hoping to get? Um, yeah, thanks, Lawrence. Uh, I, think, I think the benefits are, are really just better understanding of biology. We're, I mean, I agree completely with what Richard just said there. The, the term testing, I think, is used in an emotive way. It's, it's part, part of the the um, the ammunition, if you like, of the anti-vivisection movement is to portray it in its worst possible light. Whereas what we do is research, and the vast majority of our research is to try and just understand biology, work out how things work, understand processes, and by doing that, we can kind of inform um, further development of, of treatments for disease, understanding how things go wrong, how we can fix them. And, um, I, you know, the very few of us are involved in testing of a drug product. You might get to that state, um, but you, but that's not the, the primary goal. The, the, the main thing we're, just, we're trying to do is study normal biology and understand how things work. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Now, Marcelo, you are, you've been opposed to this facility. Is that correct? I'm opposed to the idea of entrenching, I guess, uh, potentially um, outdated modes of uh, research involving animal. I guess I'm opposed to the presumption that it always has a place within uh, the university um, uh, environment. And why? Why? Why is it doesn't have like? Yeah, why doesn't it have a place at the university environment? Look, I agree completely with both Richard and. Dave, in terms of the idea that uh, the modernisation and then the use of, of animals in research um, will have a, a theoretical place. Uh, I guess my concern more than anything else is that if we assume that it has an, um, an unmovable place or it always is going to be a legitimate uh, place within uh, the science, uh, I guess, area in, in, in the university, um, then we have a bit of a problem because more and more it's clear that um, as research does get undertaken that sometimes animals aren't the best um, uh, best used in such places and there are alternative um, uh, methods to be used in, in, in many situations and I, I, I guess it's more sort of just wanting a, a, a bigger conversation about which direction Otago would be wanting to head in um, in the future there's always going to be a place potentially for animal research um, but I'd like to see, I guess, a presumption um, to try and minimise that as much as possible in line with uh, the, the legislative obligations that Otago has. Mm -hmm. What are some of the alternatives to animals, to, to animal research? You said there's alternatives. 
Look, I'm not expert in, okay. in, in terms of the alternatives, but there are obviously two um, clear alternatives, in human, including human-based research um, and computer modelling as two. They're never going to be a complete substitute, I accept that, and they're always going to be issues in terms of using those as alternatives. Um, but the Animal Welfare Act does um, demand uh, that where possible uh, uh, non-animal uh, subjects are used uh, in, in, in such research. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not, I came across this term the three R's which is like the refinement of animal research, uh, the replacement to non-sentient creatures and uh, the reduction you know of yep. using animals. How, how dedicated will this facility be to those three well, R's? Well I, I think I'd like to come in and, and uh, thanks Marcelo. The, through the Animal Welfare Act and through our codes of ethical conduct, we actually affirm our commitment to the three R's and require for every application for the use of animals through our Animal Ethics Committee that people discuss what alternatives are available and why they can't use alternatives and drive towards that reduction. Uh, in fact, um, there are national awards for three R's and um, we're very hopeful that some of our Otago researchers will be the recipients of those three R awards this year. Now then it's, I think it's that time frame over which we expect to see significant and meaningful reduction um, that many of the alternatives that are being developed will take a lot of time and in fact um, almost perversely will require the use of animals to validate the computer models and validate the alternatives and it would not be ethical to create the, the alternatives without good science to validate but once validated we do have some very good examples of people picking up in research and teaching alternatives and putting them in. It's just then and it w I think we're happy to have that transparent and open debate about over what time frame is it reasonable to expect that that commitment to three hours will actually, uh, over over a period, mean that we don't need as as extensive or uh, larger scale animal facilities as we're currently planning. And our view is that these facilities are fit for the purpose as we see them. The facility certainly, as a as a structure, will accommodate um, transition over time to non-animal use. That the laboratories can be repurposed as. So the investment won't be wasted if there is a very big breakthrough that gives us alternatives tomorrow, but we actually just don't see those alternatives being with us for that time frame. Because mm. So the facility is going to be built in such a way that it can sort of maneuver with breakthroughs? Because there's a lot of money to put into is it? So it's not just a solely animal research facility? No, and it's got, it brings some of the research facilities um, through uh, which the animals will be used. There will be uh, some rooms housing, for example, a two-photon microscope that will allow animals to be studied without dissection that will be able to look deeper into tissues to look at some of the basic physiology. It's going to be used for things like uh, stroke and Alzheimer's research. Um, but it also brings those to the facility so the animals don't have to um, uh, be transported and that transportation is not the best for their welfare. So we're trying to uh, aggregate some of those support facilities alongside the animal research, um, uh, the animal um, management facilities to bring things together. Mm. But, you know, the, the point about the investment, the investment, uh, once you've got the structure, uh, repurposing the laboratories for different uses if, if the need were not to be so high in future, is a relatively modest um, modification or adaption that um, would be possible with this uh, with this investment. Hmm. I saw you nodding your head, Marcelo, and then now you seem to grimace. Did you have a <laughs> no grimace? Okay, um, but I do think it's it's important that um, these sorts of 
facts are brought into the debate. I mean, I think it's really exciting, actually, that this could be a facility that isn't simply used for, for animal research and does have the capacity to, to investigate alternatives. And I, I guess more than anything, because this is such a really testy and controversial issue, as you point out, people get really emotional about it and there's a lot more heat than there is light often. I wonder whether or not it, it, it might have just been, um, with, with, with no yeah. criticism whatsoever, um, <laughs> that there was uh, a bigger sort of public debate, just to make it 100% clear about what's going on here, just to head off a lot of the misinformation, because I think, although there has been quite a bit of transparency, I don't think there could be enough transparency with this particular development. This isn't just a, a normal capital project, um, because it does cause so much more controversy. And mm. if we'd heard a lot more about that, I think in a, in a in a much broader sphere and in a public debate, if it was placid and critic, if it was if it was made really really clear, then I think potentially if there is misinformation out there, that could have been headed off at the at the calls. Because mm, there's still quite a lot of protests. I mean, I saw the paper today. There was a rather large protest on Saturday. So people do feel that it hasn't been a very transparent process, like you said. I mean, if either of you would like to address that, David, or well, well, yeah, I think I think. Uh, it, uh, some of the lack of transparency is, is brought about by the protest. Unfortunately, you know, the tactics that have been used in the past, um, you know, have really scared people away from talking openly about their research. And I mean, I completely agree. I'm, I, the, the reason that I'm here is that I, I see some of the misinformation, for example, some of the statements that were, were made around, the, around that protest, you know, that are just well, were factually incorrect. Some of the misstatements. Uh, well, some of the things that that uh, animal research is invalid, that there are that there are viable alternatives, uh, which there are not for many many cases. The fact that uh, the University of Otago is somehow different from uh, the, the the rest of the world in terms of using animal research for teaching medical students, for example, that was factually incorrect. Uh, the fact that there are institutes that no longer do animal research. As far as I was concerned, the examples they gave were factually incorrect. So it's quite frustrating, and 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 I I like the idea that we're open about our research, that we're free to talk about it. I try to do it whenever I can. I've given a couple of public lectures this year in the museum, and I always make it very clear that we're doing animal research because we can't learn the sorts of things we want to learn any other way. Um, and so we're we're open about it where possible, but it, unfortunately, it, you know, issues like this come up, and it gets reported in an in a, um, inflammatory way and you know I've seen all the posters as we've walked around campus what the Cajol through, yeah. yeah cajoling people to say get out there and oppose this and so what, what are we opposing you know we, we I guess we haven't had the conversation as Marcelo points out that and that you know w maybe we need to find better ways to have that conversation but it's uh, in, in my view um, you know the, there are there, there will never be complete alternatives reduction is not about ab abolition of animal research. When you're studying, for example, how the brain works, uh, what my research is about, um, studying how hormonal changes during pregnancy influence the mother's brain, we just can't do that in a cell line or in a computer model. We don't have enough information and, and we just couldn't validly do it. So we, so we study animals where we can measure their hormones, study the behavioral changes in the mother, etc. And I can't, I can't foresee a time where that type of research could be done in any other way. What we do do is take every opportunity to reduce our use and where we can use a cell culture model, for example, we do. Where we can use alternative models, we will. Um, uh, you know, because we're committed to the, to the position of the Animal Welfare Act uh, around the three R's. 
but uh, you know realistically we are going to need this facility to carry on doing biomedical research for a good period into the future if not indefinitely yeah and again that transparency and Marcella will know I um I was um, very open and in contributing to the Animals in the Law Week last year. This year, my diary, it was a diary matter that it didn't work out. But um, I think, you know, we are also a university. We are, we do have um, requirements under the Education Act to be critic and conscience of society. And that requirement is for the university, for staff and for students. So I think the fact that people feel a responsibility to be out there challenging conventional wisdom is a good thing and yet again we, we can commit to that openness and transparency and it's just that we we need to move through that that position where also as a responsible employer we need to think of our staff welfare and with history of activism it's you know it's just at times not possible to put all of the people in front of a, a, a meeting or, or a media that people if they don't feel comfortable with doing that we we cannot require them to do that but as a representative of the, of the university I'm very happy to be talking and engaging in these debates and again have people like Dave when they feel willing to come and talk about the research come and engage and I think you will see a lot more engagement um, you know for example in the UK there is a concordant on on openness and animal testing and Imperial College of London you can go on a on a website and find that they will produce an annual report on animal research and you know, we're considering that kind of thing whether we can whether we can put the the effort into producing those kind of reports I'm of the mind and feel that that would be a positive move and I'm sure through this discussion and others people may want to see that kind of more openness and transparency coming through what we what we put out into the public arena. Where can like students access these kind of reports or people who are concerned? I think that's one of the issues of transparency. Some of these things are out there, but you don't know where they are. Do you do you know where they'll be, or where, where can we find more of this information? Well, I think if you wanted to know what happens in the UK and yeah. Imperial College, then Google uh, Imperial yeah. College. Yeah, I'm talking about Otago specifically. Like, I think that's where the people yeah. come. These things aren't necessarily advertised, so they don't know that they exist. Well, um, we will we will report on a lot of things, but we we don't produce an annual report on our animal research. So again, that will be a consideration. We we will produce. Uh, through our annual reports and publications like Heiki Tinga, our research highlights, we will we will highlight research across the full spectrum of our activities, but we don't specifically highlight and collect in one place uh, data, statistics and reports on animal research. Um, and it's because in New Zealand there isn't the same concordant, but... Um, well, we do, we, do, we do have to report the statistics from a legal perspective through the... Ministry of Primary Industries. Yeah, through, through the Animal Ethics Committee. So the numbers are, are gathered and, and reported, but not public necessarily. I mean, it does tend to come out. I mean, every year the Official Information Act, I think, releases our numbers. Uh, that's and that, right. And that gets another storm of activity around. <laughs> that, that, that's a really good example, though, because the National um, Animal Ethics Advisory Committee, which collates all these statistics together, um, has these statutory obligations to produce uh, bulk numbers and sort of uh, th those sort of headline statistics, but they're expressed in such a vague way that I think it, it, it obscures... Well, it, it causes people to question why they're so vague. And I think that if there was more specificity, for example, in simple statistics and publishing in the way that Richard was mentioning is done by Imperial College, uh, then people would have a, a lot less confusion about what's going on and potentially a lot less criticism as well. But at the moment, it's sort of a, a lot of the statistics are sort of 
group um, animal research into simply something like uh, basic biological research. A headline number of all animals that are used in that. Basic biological research is, is, is as vague and as obscure and abstract as days mm. long. Um, and that could be broken down into, into much easier to understand categories that would potentially explain all the, all the good work that Dave was mentioning um, without necessarily attracting that sort of criticism because it, it feels so secret. Mm. And when things are vague too, you're kind of allowed, uh, it, information gets filtered through gatekeepers, even, well, that's right, even if it's journalists who are completely opposed to the facility. That's why the ODT would sort of say 25,000 animals were killed last year when it potentially could be explained and packaged in a far more interesting, relevant manner than that. Um, and the reason that occurs is simply because there's no information otherwise. Yeah, I, I just want to, again, that number's an interesting right. one. Well, because, um, again, th there is a responsible media here as well. and. Um, the number of 25,000 is in my head because my name is under the, under that headline hmm. numerous times. And in fact, that's a three-year statistic. And uh, again, we, through transparency, gave numbers and, and the way that they are then interpreted and reported through media. We can, we can also be as open and transparent as we like and then have people put um, interesting headlines on hmm. that that will cast a particular, a particular view of our activity. So... Um, I think there is that, again, with more conversation, there is the ability for more understanding that then leads to the reasonableness in terms of the way that our activities are seen and the, also the reasonableness in terms of the, you know, the societal... Again, we, we need social licence for this and the social licence that we, we need to maintain um, the good work that we believe that we are undertaking. All right, well, we're running out of time. Yep. But I appreciate you guys coming on there. Anybody need one final word? Anything? No. Nope. Well, thank you all for coming on. And um, if you have a say in this story, you can text in your opinion to 0212-RADIO-1. That's 0212-723-461.